in the same way that everything's been created, there isn't a single trait or fact about an individual that makes them unique in the world. When I start to look at a bunch of different factors that dictate who I am and how I behave and why I behave that way and why I give importance to the things I give importance to, those brought together are what creates a unique definition. Welcome back to another edition of How I Create Me, where we passionately celebrate remarkable humans on their quest to thrive creatively in the commercial world. I'm your host, Jessica Matthews. This community gives me both the courage to keep going and the wisdom to try something different. I hope our collective stories resonate with your own internal spark, and we're so glad you're joining us. Invite others by rating the show on Apple or Spotify. This helps the algorithm critters introduce us to more folks. And explore our happenings or chime into our conversation online at howicreate.me. Today, we're celebrating the remarkable human, cosmopolitan citizen and management consultant, Rebecca Gebhardt Breezy. She chatted with me today about how it's all in our heads, the imaginary divide from arts with a capital A, and the source of our unique transformative crafts. From studies in classical Greek and art connoisseurship, her career took her through fashion publishing, software startups and pivots, product development and subsidiary growth, from Australia to Europe to the Americas. She currently serves Atlanta's vibrant entrepreneurial community as a consultant for happy employees and loyal customers and achievable business goals. She enjoys connecting across the city's diverse population and the easy access to the refreshing hikes of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Join us to hear the best and worst advice her mother gave her in the same sentence, no less, and why the word better isn't always the best. Thank you, Rebecca, for sitting down to talk to me. Thank you. I'm delighted. It's always lovely to sit down and have a conversation with you. So thank you for coming and being on my show. Thank you for having me. So talk to me first about what do you wish uh, everyone knew about your profession of management consulting and ultimately what drives your why? Well, the, the, core thing I wish everybody knew about management as a practice is that it is a thing in the same way that in a business you have, you know, sales and marketing and accounting, you have management and and it's a thing and that it should be treated as such. And and what we see in businesses is um, in small businesses, people tend to start a business because they're the craftspeople of the business, right? So an attorney is going to start a law firm and they contractor will start a remodeling business and that is their craft management is my craft that is the skill that that I bring to the table and you ask about my why and it it sort of goes back to the origin story of how I learned about management being a thing which was many years ago shortly after I entered the the working world I joined a software startup and at the time there were three of us it obviously was a tiny team over the first year or two it was very clear to me that I was bringing value to the team, to the business. Um, I had, you know, I was comfortable with that, but I couldn't really explain why, you know, I mean, I could point to the things that I was doing, but I could see the founder who, you know, was the visionary. He had the ideas. I could see the developer who's you know, building the actual software. And I couldn't put a title or a word or a definition to my role. So I knew that I was doing things and they were useful, um, but, you know, I kept saying, but what, what am I, you know, what is, how do I package this value? How do I understand what I am? And long story short, 
and I have to give props because actually a conversation with my brother that that really helped me realize this was was to understand that my skill was what is in effect management. That between the idea that the founder was having and the execution, the developer creating the product, there's a step there. There is the the planning, the understanding of context and how to make things a reality and which parts of that matter and which parts don't. Um, and so that realization that that's what I was good at. And, and I, at the time, I always thought I will never be able to start a business because I don't have ideas like that. That's not how my brain works. Um, but actually, and that is still true, but I do have a business because I'm very good at taking other people's ideas and, and creating that step between that idea and the execution of it, which going back to small businesses are started by craftspeople, that allows them to then focus on that craft. Oh my goodness, that resonates so much with me because figuring out how to say the thing that you do is is half the battle. And it's so easy to think that you don't do something because the uh, execution isn't the step that you exist at. <laughs> there, it certainly resonates with me as somebody who wasn't um, painting with oils or the photographer snapping right. photos and changing lenses and all this, that there's still an element of craft that's happening in organizing our thoughts and determining value and prioritizing and all those delicious things that I really enjoy doing too. So tell me what is a commonly held belief about creativity that you passionately disagree with? Passionately. Um, the idea that there is, or that creativity is a word that applies only to the arts with a capital A. Um, so that, you know, it's, it's fine arts and it's music and it's, you know, photography and, and acting. Those are creative professions and everything else is not creative. And that um, there's, there's a perceived division in between these two categories and that on the one side you have creativity and on the other you have I don't know business um, a, a different word there and uh, and and I strongly disagree with that the the every every application of skill is an application of creativity and if we think about creativity right it's the same root as creation but the truth is that that creation is taking something that already exists and transforming it right it's a transformation so a painter takes a canvas that already exists and paints and colors that already exist and transforms them into a work of art something visual a musician is not inventing notes they all already exist but they are transforming them into a beautiful piece of music a consultant transforms the idea of a business into the opportunity, the possibility of the execution of that business and so on and so forth. Every application of a skill is a transformation where before something looked or worked in a certain way and afterwards it looks or works differently. So, so there is a lot of creativity in these professions. And the other thing that once we remove that imaginary division, um, we also realize that the business side also applies to everybody, right? It's not that creative professionals are not business people. To be successful, they are also wonderful business people. And all those things go hand in hand. That the relationship between creativity and whatever people, however people define the non-arts or the non-creative, so to speak, it's actually a really harmonious relationship that those things embrace each other with friendship. 
I think it underlines your point so well that there isn't a word for the opposite of the arts. <laughs> like, yes, there yes. really is like that we're struggling for this vocabulary to talk about that space because that space is like imaginary. <laughs> Get right. all exactly. <laughs> um, but even so, that I love that word that you use transformation because nothing comes from nowhere, like everything. Yeah is already there. So what do you think when you consider creative professionals and kind of their activities today, what do you think that they could start doing more of to help them kind of find that footing in that, in that commercial space and straddling those imaginary realms yeah. that are not actually really <laughs> divided? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, if, if I were to hone in on one thing, I would say to start by defining what makes you unique. So focusing on what is, who am I? What is this thing that I do? Who is this presence that I bring to the world? How do I work? And the, the I like to look at that as there's not a single thing. And, and I think this is where some people struggle. Or in my experience, I've seen people struggle. They want to have a definition of what makes them unique. And there isn't one. In the same way that everything's been created, there isn't a single trait or fact about an individual that makes them unique in the world. Um, it might be in a context. So I, I, I presume, I think I'm right, that I'm the only person in this virtual room that grew up in Switzerland. So does that make me unique in this context, perhaps? But it does not make me unique in the world, right? There's give or take eight or nine million of us. The, so once we look at it in that broader way, that is not what makes me unique. However, there is only one Rebecca gebhardt Greetsy. There's, there's not a lot of me. Um, there's literally one in the world. So what is it that makes me me? And when I start to look at a bunch of different factors that dictate who I am and how I behave and why I behave that way and why I give importance to the things I give importance to, those brought together are what creates a unique definition. So if, it, if there were one sort of foundational thing that I would say it's find what makes you unique and it's okay for it to be many, in fact, it should be many things that brought together tell a story or paint a picture that is just you. And once that becomes the foundation of everything you're doing, then you've got a really strong base on which to build, right? It's all about being this person, being genuine, right? Like a genuine definition of who you are and projecting that and fulfilling that um, in, in all the decisions that you make in your creative, business, artistic, professional career. I love that you drew a line under the multiplicity of self, right? That I think American culture, we see it as a sign of authenticity or, uh, you know, a genuine showing up when we're sort of like the same in all these different contexts. But you're so right that what makes us ourselves and unique in that is the combination of things that we can pull out to respond yeah. to the context and the environment of what's happening around us that when you walk into a room there's a whole you know toolkit and treasure box of who you are that you're bringing to that situation and you're not going to pull the same thing out of your hat every time <laughs> you show up and so i i really like the way you describe that because i think it can be confusing especially when so much of commercial activity that surrounds your more traditionally capital A arts creativity. Right? Yeah. You have to have a brand and to have a brand, everything becomes a little more rigid and rigid and rigid. You have these style guides and you have these color palettes and you have this like, well, we do this on this schedule and everything, which is all very helpful for efficiency. 
but gives that false impression, right? That you're only this one thing and that what's unique to you can be boiled down to, to something. I, I really, um, it's so exciting to think about how, uh, how empowering that is, that what makes you unique is a combination of traits. And it's, it's a, it's a many, <laughs> not, not yeah. a one. <laughs> I, if, if I may I give a bit of a, of a background story to that. So when I was, my, my upbringing was slightly out of the norm and every place, and even as an adult, not just as a child, every place I've ever been, I've always been sort of categorized as different as an other and not in a bad way. I had a wonderful childhood, et cetera. So it was never a negative thing, but it's just a factual thing. But when I was very, very young, um, it also meant that I and my family were often the subject of gossip. And, um, and that bothered me when I was a child that people would be saying, I would learn things about me at school, at elementary school that were not true, right? People would say, oh, but doesn't your family do X, Y, Z? And they'd be like, no, I, I live there. I know what, like, I am them. Um, what are you talking about? And once I was talking to my mother about this, and I was complaining, I was whining about the fact that people gossiped about us. And she gave me the best and at the same time, worst advice I've ever received, which is who cares if people are talking about you? At least they've noticed you. Um, or who cares what they're saying about you? At least they've noticed you. And this this like took a while to sink in, but it's what really first started me thinking about, I can't control what other people say or what other people do. All I can control is how I show up and what I present to the world. So I can be deliberate about who I want that to be, about you know how I interact with people and how I present myself and, um, and the, the person that I bring into that room in any given context. So. Um, and, and it did make me feel back in control. So again, it, it allowed me, it made it easier to stop caring about the parts that I couldn't control and actually put my energy into, into what I could. And that was you know, the best definition of myself. That story leads me right into the idea of attention that so many creative professionals, uh, which applies to beyond the arts, of course, the tension that we feel in making ourselves better all the time or somehow improving upon what it is that we're bringing to the table. So how would you sort of talk a little bit about what you think about this doing things better versus maybe that showing up and holding that space of difference. Can you sort of elaborate on, on your approach there? Yes, I, um, I don't use the word better and I don't allow my clients to use the word better. We don't, we never work on better. Uh, we, we only work on different and, uh, and, and even different sounds like it's relative to other things, but it's not. I mean, the point is, you know, it, it means we just focus on, on you and not in relation to the rest of the world. Better is not a value proposition. It, it means absolutely nothing in of itself. So um, what the, when we start to look at different, then again, it brings the focus back on what can we control? How do we show up in the world? How do we present ourselves? And so for a business or a business professional, it's, it's the same thing. It's um, you know, what part of me is unmistakably me and, and what part of that am I bringing into this conversation or into this context? Um, I wish, I, I never wish for my clients or my friends or, you know, people that I know, anybody at all to find their definition of self only in relation to what's around them or only in relation to the perceived worth of somebody else, um, whether a competitor or anybody, you know, uh, somebody they even look up to and admire, allow those to be aspirational stories, 
but you still need to be about you. Um, and it's, you know, as somebody who's moved a lot, for example, people often ask me, what's your favorite place to live? Favorite country, favorite city? And I don't have one at different places that I've lived have given me different perks and, and different, you know, cons that then I had to get used to or overcome. There's no, there's no perfect place to live, but I have fully enjoyed everywhere I have lived. Cause also if I didn't, I, would have moved very quickly. So, you know, I don't, I even there, I don't bring this comparison of do I like Atlanta more than any place else I've lived before. Um, it's a, a different stage of life that also matters, but it, they're just different. And so, so long as they are offering me what I need at that moment in life, they're the right place for me to be. doesn't make them better or worse than anywhere else. There's so much power and reassurance in that, <laughs> especially for people whose careers don't follow this narrative. I, I don't know where the narrative necessarily originated, but there's this persistent idea that, that your career or how you offer your business has to follow this like one single line of like constant growth, or we offer the same services we have been for 30 years. And <laughs> like it, our world moves so fast. And, and yet we hold on to this narrative that ev everything is that you know, linear progression. And I, I really, uh, really admire that thought pattern that for each space, each place, each time that there, you're not necessarily, there's not a hierarchy that's like already at play there. <laughs> like you get to decide how it fits where you are in that moment and, uh, and really embrace it for what it is um, as a worthy part of our experience. How do you talk with your clients or other folks that are, are navigating the, the space of engaging with their world and offering their craft? How do you talk to them about success and failure? Because those are two words that get thrown around a lot in, you know, business content and discussion. And I don't know how helpful they are. What's your approach to those words? I, I, I agree. And, and in fact, I think you've already beautifully explained why, which is that life is not linear. And so when we think in terms of success and failure, we so often think of them as these endpoints. Success, you know, so life is linear and then success is the highest peak or failure is, you know, the bottom of the deepest well. And, and it's not true because it's not, you know, a movie at the end of which there's this point of success and then there's like the fade out and the music. And no, at the, that moment when you think you've had a great success, you've had a great failure, there is also the moment immediately afterwards in which you have to, you know, take your next breath and then go to the grocery store to buy dinner. And then, you know, like life goes on and too often using the word success and failure give us this idea of either an endpoint or these major, major milestones that we have to work towards and after which everything is, is you know, up or down. It's a little bit like um, people saying that your wedding day is the best day of your life. And, you know, dear, I hope not because you've got many days after that. I don't want to think that it's all downhill from there. Amen. No, that's not how <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, again, those are just words that I don't, that I don't use. And I, I try to convince my clients not to use them and not to think of that way. You're going to go through life. You're going to go through this continuum of time over which we have no control. And sometimes things are going to go the way you wanted them to. And sometimes they're not going to go the way you wanted them to. That's all it is. But there's always the next moment, which is both an obligation because it just happens. And, but also of course the opportunity. So then uh, to then improve or, or do something different once again 
and the and the when something doesn't go the way you wanted to you stop and you say okay why not and what can i change next time and again the question is what did i control in this situation that i need to do differently in the next iteration and when something does go the way you want it to you do the exact same thing you stop and you say okay what did i control in this situation and will i have control over it next time because also when things go right sometimes we didn't control that so doing all the exact same steps next time doesn't necessarily bring the same result and the the other thing that you know when you bring this to its natural conclusion is when we obsess with success or failure it ends up becoming and again you sort of hinted at this already an a, an impediment to change because it's like this idea of well if i'm changing then is it perceived that i failed at what i was doing previously and so i have to make this major change and that was also not realistic i mean i am not the same person now that i was when i was 20 and at 20 i wasn't the same person i was when i was 10 that's true in our personalities and our lives it's true in our business it's true in our business life we are both people who have had more than one career path because we have been open to our own development and where that's taken us and where the best application of our skill was at that time and when all we think about is these major milestones then we're actually diminishing our opportunity for change because we're we're not focusing on that development we're focusing on this this perceived goal that is not in our control at all i run headlong into that lesson every day as a parent <laughs> like sitting over yes. there like thinking about <laughs> how I, I didn't even really encounter the like inevitable truth of those statements until becoming a mom. <laughs> so what are, <laughs> what are some of the techniques that you use with your clients, right? When they're navigating those, those highs and lows of their experience, right? Not so much maybe linearly, but like, uh, um, the ocean with all the waves, right? They don't all come. <laughs> you're kind of tossed and turned and you're navigating all these tensions. What are some of the techniques that you use to to help your clients stay organized, focused, and to be able to stand in that place of power for themselves, determining what they can and can't control and how to keep moving forward with positivity? Well, the the one of the main things I do is to go back to that definition of difference of unique of you know what makes them unique i when i'm working with the clients the the definition we're giving to that is a mission statement and guiding principles so for every business there needs to be a, a, an agreed mission statement and three guiding principles you know three is the ideal number um call them values etc i i like guiding principles because it's very descriptive of what i expect them to be that again is the foundation so when when there are these moments that feel out of control or feel like something went wrong or you know uh, when the pressure is external and maybe artificial as opposed to to you know being what we can control then that's what i go back to as well let's go right back to this foundation we've got this base and and that's what we need to be working towards the mission statement are the decisions we're making furthering this mission and are they respecting the guiding principles that you've said are the core of this business um, that that's the basis on which we're going to make decisions. And that's the only definition of right or wrong that you really need to focus on is just, are you furthering your mission? Are you respecting your guiding principles? Excuse me. And if so, everything else, then can we can test and we can experiment and we can adapt and it's it's fine. It doesn't matter how it goes. We can roll it back. We can push it forward. 
we have we have control over how we manage those things. Yeah. And what are some of the your favorite like tools or exercises that help people kind of get out of their heads and maybe externalize some of that internal turmoil? The one word lists. I everybody just made more lists in life. Things would be so much easier. And there are a couple of reasons for it. But the main one, or let's say the unified one, is that decision fatigue is is a very real thing. Every time we make a decision, we're depleting our energy. Even just, you know, what do I wear today? And what podcast should I listen to in the car? Every little decision is actually a, a bit of brain energy. And when we can actually put things in a list and we don't have to make the decision, when we can make the decision in advance, so to speak, then we are allowing all of that brain energy to the application of our skills. So back to where we started, we're allowing all of our brain energy to be put on creativity instead of recall. And there's um, there's a productivity expert named Mike Vardy who has this fantastic quote, which I'm not saying it verbatim, but is in, this, in essence, our brains are factories, not warehouses. And that's a really effective image for us to think about our how are we using our brain right now? So lists for you know how to do things so that when you are in the middle of execution you don't have to remember the next step or did you do the previous step or you just completely focused on applying your skill not trying to remember everything else that goes around it so everything that can be in a list should be in a list from you know what you're going to wear this week what you're going to eat to how to execute this customer delivery this part of your of your service that explains why my mother-in-law has 150 cookbooks in her kitchen. <laughs> I have no more decisioning power at the end of the day when it comes to dinner. My husband and I pull ours out and it's like, okay, which one of us wants to follow this list for tonight's <laughs> meeting? Before we go, I do want to play like a quick little game with you. Um, just because it's a lot of fun to get to know each other and share with our audience. Um, it's called the Ungame, and it's a game of self-expression. So there's no rules. Basically, I'm going to shuffle the cards, and then we'll pick a question and answer it. Okay. <laughs> so tell about a secret desire that you have. I, well, I have a bucket list item. Does that work? Oh, sure. I I really, really one day want to go to the New Year's Eve concert by the Vienna, the Vienna Philharmonic. So the, the at the Music Verein, they do this, it's a usually Strauss and mainly Strauss, Waltz's um, New Year's Day concert. And it's a magnificent, beautiful event. And it always ends with them playing the Radetzky March and the audience claps along with the second go of the chorus, so to speak. I'm sure that's not the correct word for it. And and it's just, it's my dream to go to that that concert specifically and be able to clap along with the Radetzky March. Oh, that sounds so magical. I could see it in my head. Like I've never heard about it until you described it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to go too. <laughs> I think if I had to think of a secret desire for myself, I mean, it's not super secret. I think the secret piece of it is how much I care about it. I love to swing dance so much and blues and 
Lindy Hop, and I don't really have the cardio stamina for Lindy Hop in the same way, but um, but I would love to compete in like a Jack and Jill competition, swing dancing, and it's something that I don't ever say out loud because I don't know, it's not gauche to be competitive or something. I don't know, but uh, people know I like to dance. They don't know that I would like to be a really, really, really good dancer. <laughs> So that's my secret I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> I, um, quick parenthesis, which I always throw in. I, years ago, my husband and I spent a week on a working ranch in Wyoming. This was before we lived in America, so it was terribly exotic for us. And, and we were, you know, no cell phone service, absolute middle of nowhere, beautiful ranch. One of the ranch hands was this young girl who was a fantastic dancer. And so one evening after dinner, because, uh, you know, we all just lived and worked and ate together. So one evening after dinner, we just had to make our own entertainment. And she taught us the Lindy Hop. And I'd never done it before. I knew a little bit of swing, et cetera, but I'd never done it. It's so much fun. I think that's a brilliant secret desire. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see. So cheers to us and good wishes that we get to have our secret desires. <laughs> Thank yes. you. Thank you so much for sharing with me your stories and your insights and inspiration. So pleased to have you on the show today. So thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. This was such fun. That's another party in the bag for How I Create Me. We're incredibly grateful that you've welcomed our content into your headspace. We take it very seriously that we should bring light and goodness to your soul. So don't be shy about sharing your thoughts. How'd we do? Do you want to hear more? What should we talk about next? To stay connected and get amongst the details, visit howicreate.me. Are there other people in your world that should join the party? Invite others by rating the show on Apple or Spotify. This helps the algorithm critters introduce us to more folks. Like, share, follow, and all the social media things. That'll help too. Explore our happenings or chime into our conversation online at howicreate.me. This podcast would not be possible without the generous efficiency of our executive producer and production team at Chat with Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening. May you go forth and thrive. Thank you.